lot of high net worth individuals are looking to diversify, but don't really know how or where. And so, you know, we sort of go down the talk track of like, well, what does that look like? Do you want to own a car wash? Do you want to own, you know, a restaurant? Do you want to own an accounting business? What, you know, what is that? And what does passive income really look like to you? Thank you for joining us on Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. Today, our guest is Jason Perro. Jason is a successful real estate investor. He used to be, no longer is, used to be a medical device sales rep in the corporate world, working hard, selling those medical devices, and on the side, he was investing in real estate. He bought his first unit in 2001 when he just first had two, two nickels to rub together, he and his wife. Now he's built up to a portfolio of hundreds of units. As we speak, he's just closed a 205-unit deal in his market in Erie, Pennsylvania. And that's the only place he invests, a a tertiary market in Pennsylvania. We don't talk to a lot of folks who focus on just one tertiary market. So it's definitely going to be interesting to get that angle as well. We're going to talk about how to start investing in real estate, how to start passively investing in real estate for high-income individuals, because Jason works with a lot of high-income individuals, lawyers and doctors and folks like that who don't have the time to mess around with tenants, toilets, and termites. I sure don't have that time, and I don't think you do either. I don't want to mess around with that. So let's get into it. Jason, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Taylor. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, it's great. So can you round out some of those numbers for us and your story and you know fill in the gaps that I left, some pretty big sure. gaps in there? Yep. So 2001, um, year before my wife and I were married, we actually bought our first rental property. We started out the old fashioned way. So we lived on one person's salary, saved basically what the other person made and just pummeled that into buying real estate the old fashioned way, saving up for our down payments, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, did several larger deals along the way, um, got us to 300 units in 2012 uh, was when I, left my day job um, as a medical device salesperson. So again, still doing it all all the old fashioned way. Um, When I left my day job, linked up with some hard money lenders, private investors, that type of thing, and really got the ball rolling from to doing a little bit more creative, creative financing, creative um, strategies, and got up to about 600 units that my wife and I own just ourselves. And in the last year, we've, you know, as you mentioned, we just closed that 205 unit deal. So we've we've kind of backed into syndication as that's a just another feather in the cap, another way of another strategy of investing. So we still do a little bit of everything, but um, you know primarily have been focused in your EPA in our backyard because um, there's just still been a ton of opportunity in in our market and markets like Erie. And having done this, where you know our first property we actually closed the week before 9/11, and wow. you know we we were through that down cycle, went through. The 2008 cycle and all the stuff in between and since then and what i really like about tertiary markets is you know when the market corrects i don't i don't necessarily it doesn't necessarily affect us we're still going to have a, a community that uh of people looking to rent apartments and as long as there's that tenant base uh in a market like erie and, and other tertiary even secondary markets are a little bit more immune to the the major economic downturns and you know, who knows, none of us can time that that part of the market, but uh, I like the safety that that brings me. Um, you know, and we are looking to invest outside of Erie, but it has to be the right, you know, in the right role and, and the right type of deal and everything else. But I, I really have been, you know, screaming as loud as I can from the mountaintop that places like Erie are the place to be because 
uh, you know, you're not gonna have this huge upswing. This isn't Nashville, Tennessee or Denver or Atlanta, but on the flip side, you're not gonna have that market crash. So, you know, 10, 15 years from now, when you're looking to cash out of a deal, your equity has grown at a nice rate. You've had a great return all the way along and your money and investment has been safe, safe the whole way around. Um, and just to add to that, you know, with our most recent deal, we had quite a few, um, maybe about 15 investors from out of state that believed in that, you know, the idea of looking for that tertiary market that is just stable. You know, it's that steady upward growth, but nothing, you know, nothing huge on the upside and, you know, no real, you know, no real downside to speak of other than you're not going to have any massive appreciation. My area of Virginia, we've got a few tertiary markets that were fantastic in the 70s and 80s, back when we were building furniture in America. And there's an area, you know, Martinsville, it's 20% of the population it used to be. But we won't get into that now. So you work with passive investors. You were successful in real estate before you started working with passive investors, just with your own money. So what has that been like and, and how, you know, what have your investors kind of seen? What have you presented to them? And, uh, you know, from your end, how's that transition been starting to work with those investors? Yeah, it's, um, I think the biggest thing for me, um, you know, I knew about syndication for 15 out of the 18 years I've been in real estate. Um, you know, I always had a big mental block and I was afraid of, um, you know, maybe uh, thinking too, you know, I wasn't thinking, maybe not thinking big enough, um, maybe not confident enough in my own abilities, but during that time, you know, build up a really, really reasonable track record, you know, nurtured a lot of friendships and relationships. So when I made that decision to jump into uh, syndicating and bringing in passive investors, it was a really easy transition because I just looked at my network, looked at my network of people. And I, um, you know, I don't like the high pressure sales approach. I don't want people to, you know, fear seeing you coming or calling. And so totally. I reached out to a handful of, of guys and gals that I know and trusted you know, either who are friends or people I knew in the business world that um, I said, hey, look, you know, the, I have these types of deals that I'm looking at. Here's the type of return I can give. You'll get, you know, you'll, your money will be secured by the real estate. You'll get paid quarterly dividends in, you know, say eight to 12% range. What do you, what do you think? And, and so I, I started with a real softball approach to gauge their interest. And I found that that approach really works. So even when I have a deal in mind, I'd still sort of take that, that frontline approach with, with folks to see if they really are interested and maybe a good fit for, um, for making a passive investment. And, and you know, seeing you know, a, a lot of high net worth individuals are looking to diversify, but don't really know how or where. And so you know, we sort of go down the talk track of like, well, what does that look like? Do you wanna own a car wash? Do you wanna own you know, a restaurant? Do you wanna own um, you know, an accounting business? What, you know, what is that and what does passive income really look like to you? And if, if um, and most of them don't, you know, most people don't want to do the extra work. They want to return on their money. So, you know, the answer is easy and they, they you know, they answer that in the sense that, well, I'd like the idea of, of a check and, and um, most investors can live with a quarterly dividend check. And that's typically how we, we set up our investments to pay out quarterly. So that's been very, um, that's been a very easy, easy path. I think the, um, you know, the, the, what I found is that sometimes people get it in one conversation and sometimes it's a new concept. You know, they're used to the 401ks, they're used to you know, real estate investment trusts, or they're used to you know, a bond fund or a mutual fund. So I would say, you know, gosh, it's a 
it's a pretty successful hit rate, but you, um, you know, if you look at it from, from that way, but it's really just the conversation, you know, it's trying to, to align um, what we do with, with the goals of, of our investor. And if there's a fit, you know, it's gotta be a fit for personality. Um, you know, you, you wanna be able to get along with somebody and um, become friendly enough with them that, you know, that you've got a, you know, uh, a relationship. And, and we really try to make sure that we, um, you know, we, we surround ourselves with good people and that we all get along as friends. And so we try to break bread with people. You try to uh, make sure that you've, you've gotten a chance to really get to know somebody and, and really know them at a deeper level. Um, you know, before, you know, before moving forward with, with a passive investment. And that's Absolutely. on both sides of the coin as, as a syndicator and a passive investor. Totally. I believe that on both ends, you have to like who you're like the people you're dealing with first before, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't I want to say, I don't much care how great the deal is. I do care, but yeah. my first step is, you know, do I like the people? Do I like the business? Do I feel they're, you know, competent in their business, all that stuff. Uh, yeah. Do I get along with them, comfortable with them, all that good stuff. So what have you found? And you made a comment about uh, some of your folks might want to, they might want to own restaurants. Folks that are listening, go check out our interview with Greg Dickerson. He's an investor here in Virginia. He's been investing for decades. His worst investment he ever made was a restaurant. Go check it out. Don't buy a restaurant. <laughs> uh, so what have you found that from these higher income, higher net worth folks who have no real estate investing experience, what are some of the biggest lessons that they like need to learn or they have questions about or they're just not familiar with because they've spent that time, they spent more time researching liquid investments, more liquid investments like stocks and REITs and all those things that you right. mentioned? I think in some sense, um, for a lot, not all, but a lot of investors, you have to dumb it down to the basics. I mean, you know, you know, they're interested in real estate the same way that I was interested in real estate 18 or 19 years ago. And um, you know, I don't know how long you've been in business, but same thing. And so we didn't, you know, we didn't always understand depreciation. We didn't always understand cost segregation or self-directed IRAs and, and all these creative strategies of investing in real estate. So um, I think the idea is that, you know, really being able to get to the basics, you know, some, some of our investors really didn't uh, understand how they generate a profit in a real estate investment. So it's simplifying it as much to, this is a profit and loss statement. And, and you know, here's your gross revenue, which is the rents and revenue that comes in, and here's the expenses, and here's what's left over that is split up on a prorated basis to to our investors. And and I think, you know, not 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 everybody has to um, understand that part of the business, but you know, a lot of a lot of people are just employees. They might be very well paid employees. You know, you're a, you're an executive or or a physician or somebody making several hundred thousand or even millions of dollars a year. Their specialty might not be in business. So I think. Some of those basics, um, it's important that they understand how you generate a profit in the real estate business, but um, but also how they can invest. Again, um, you know, we I've, we've had several friends and investors say, "Hey, look, I love this. If I could only invest in my IRA, I would totally do this." And then, you know, of course, that's a it's just a, such a softball. <laughs> like, okay, oh, yeah, so have you ever heard of self-directed IRAs? And and I think that um, really from a syndicator standpoint. Um, being able to provide value to the folks that invest with you and not just up front, but ongoing in terms of relationship management. You know, we really try to make sure that um, our investors are, are feeling that they have sort of a custom solution for their needs to diversify. So if we keep providing them value, teaching them about even depreciation and how, um, you know, leading them down that path, that, here's a loss and 
And what you do with that loss is, is a discussion for you and your CPA, but giving them enough information that to understand what real, how real estate losses can benefit them and other tax strategies. So by no, by no means can we provide tax or legal advice, but we can give them information and then have them ask their CPA what they can do with that type of information. Some of the things that uh, I've observed coming from you know this uh, professional background is you know when you have something like an IRA or 401k that you've docked money into through your employer over the years, you don't know about self-directed IRAs because the custodians that you invest with through your employer don't do self-direction. Or if you ask them about self-direction, they might say, "Oh yeah, you can buy whatever stock you want," but they're not right. not really answering the question. Or they'll tell you, "No, you can't buy real estate in your." retirement account, which is just false. Right. So yeah, digging a little bit deeper for that information and being a source of information is fantastic. Now, what are some of the the kind of stumbling blocks you've come across when, when you're talking to these higher paid uh, professional you know, uh, professionals that are looking at investing in your, your softball pitching on the, them on your investment? What are some of those tougher roadblocks that they have a harder time with it? Is it, is it the illiquidity of a syndication investment is it you know something else what are you running into i, I think you know there's a couple things that um I, I think for a lot of these um individuals they have a very linear career path you know if you you know you go to college then you go to med school do your residency you come out and you're a high-paid position so to think about risk is different for them and, and making a decision is different for somebody like that so, um, but that being said, there's several, we have several physicians that were they're very astute, very on top of their fi of personal finance and the decision was easy. So I think, I think for some folks, it's just helping them make a decision without being pushy. And, and I, I, I think for us, you know, we've tried to take a really low pressure sales approach um, and, and make it more of a, I hate to say, cons you know, uh, consultation but you know, if you're friends with these folks and become friendly, it, look, it's no pressure. You make this decision on your own. Um, you know, I, I try to do a lot. If, if if somebody's on the fence and they're really, you know, thinking about, like, gosh, you know, I'm locked into this thing for 10 years. I don't understand this. I've, I I will oftentimes gift them books. I, I don't know whether they read them or not, but I'm like, you know, <laughs> hey, read this book, read this chapter. Um, you know, it cost me all 10 or 20 bucks. You know, each encounter. But again, that's you know, hey, this this talks about how real estate investment works. I don't have to write my own book. I can just, you know, like, you know, we all know, like, there's tons and tons of books out there that have great content. You know, I can just steal, borrow from that and, hey, earmark, you know, read this chapter right now to better understand this or, hey, click on this link. And and I think I've really tried to understand what their what their hurdles are and what's holding them back. And, you know, I had a, um, a person who's a friend of ours that was looking to invest in our first syndication. And this individual's, um, son was going to college this coming year and he, you know, he's a very high paid physician. He was worried about his liquidity because again, the cost of college is not, not easy. And, you know, his son wasn't really going to be getting any financial aid. So what we did between the first syndication and the second syndication was just occasionally go ahead into my calendar to send him an article you know, once a month or so, just, hey, here's a link, check out this article on passive real estate investing, educating him about that self-directed IRA um, mechanism. So when the time came for the next deal, he said, hey, look, this is great. I'll, I'll do this. I'll, I'll, you know, roll over X amount of dollars out in, you know, for my IRA. 
and then it was such a softball. So I think that sometimes the hurdles you, you encounter may delay that person from investing in the deal currently. But, you know, if they are really interested in, in you know, you want to help them from a genuine spot, you know, I've said, look, you don't have to invest with me. But if you're looking to invest and diversify your holdings, you really need to do something that that get that helps you build equity that's safe and predictable, like real estate is. And um, and I just I guess just try to try to go come from a place where I'm really helping them understand finance from a different from a different level. And what have you found as you work with these folks? Maybe the more know, sophisticated one people. I don't know. Uh, what have you found their priorities are in terms of say? Downside protection, maximizing cash flow, maximizing internal rate of return, all of those, those, those spectrums of advantages of real estate investing. If you were to, to rank those in terms of their you know, highest priority, these high paid you know, professionals who are experienced investors yeah. in this field, where would you rank that from your observation? Well, you know, it's, it's different for um, the different types of investors because we have some folks that are strictly seeking cash flow and they care more about that quarterly that annual return hey am i getting paid 12% on my money or am i getting paid 10% of my money or or whatever that number is that's the bottom line for them and i think um having a deal that's solid all the way around that provides that great quarterly return but also you know has like long good long term appreciation so i guess i try to make sure that i understand all the fundamentals of my my deal so that whatever is important to the investor we're able to hone in on. So some investors are like, yeah, I, I want to know what I'm going to make over a 10 year period. I don't care about the quarterly returns. I'm, I care about, hey, did this thing shoot off the 20% IRR over a 10 year period? And so I think if they're more sophisticated, then you know you have to make sure you give your investor the whole picture, you know, and really focus on 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 that at the end of it. But I think that a lot of guys they they see. Um, I, I try to explain to them and dummy it down as much as possible that hey, with your quarterly return. Uh, or I mean your annual return plus the uh, plus the debt paid down. Try to simplify that IRR to uh, the simplest form to, to get them to understand what over the life of this it's, it's going to look like. So it's not just those dividends, but it's the appreciation, it's the debt pay down, it's all these things that end up making that making this a, a, a huge win in your favor. And then and, and talking about the risk. I mean most of them. Um, they ask about the risk, but it's not as important. I think really it comes down to, does the deal make sense? Do I trust the syndicator? You know, do I believe that this is going to perform in a predictable manner over, over a, a reasonable amount of time? And so I think that if you were able to build that trust and come, you know, and, and be someone that operates with integrity, um, that's probably number one would be that they like you and that you're presenting to them a deal that, that makes sense. And so, um, you know, you could have a deal that has a 5% annual return, um, you know, in a very modest, modest returns, but it could be, you know, it, it could be um, because they believe in you, they're willing to, they're willing to put their money in the deal. And, um, you know, you may have a deal that, that shoots off 12%, you know, uh, dividend checks every year, but, you know, they may not like, you know, they may, if they don't like you or they don't, they don't trust the deal, you know, then they're, they're not going to be interested. So it's kind of this like weird magic pot of all, you know, all those factors. And, and I, I know that I didn't give a clear answer, but I think it really depends on, it just all depends on the investor. No, I certainly understand that. I think that helps put my personal values and my investments more into focus. For example, the most recent deal I invested in was a 10-year 
horizon. There's a potential refinance event in there, so I'll get some or most of my capital back out uh, and still retain my shares. But my priority is not living off of the cash flow. My priority right. is maximizing the dollar value of my assets, you know, down the road when I need to, you know, when I'm getting ready to retire. Exactly. So I don't mind a 10-year window. That's fine. Right. If you give me a, a dividend check back, then I have to go find something to do with that, whatever, a couple thousand dollars. So kind of a pain on my part. But that, that's one question that, um, you know, you, you, you can struggle to answer sometimes is that for the person that doesn't need that dividend check, um, you know, well, what do I do with that? Right. And so, um, you know, they, you know, they either, you know, you have to figure out a way for them to roll that into, you know, they've got to be creative, you know, can they roll it into a next deal? Can they let that accumulate and put it into a trade account? But as, as you know, as they've achieved certain levels of dividends, they want to make that make money on the money that, um, you know, that, that they're making off the investment. So um, that, that's probably one of the bigger challenges is, is, you know, then having a home for that, um, you know, for them, for them to realize that, they have to, you know, how do they redeploy those dividends? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, not to get too much in the weeds, but that's the advantage of in the, this particular deal of uh, the, the refi so that we get most or all of our capital back out. So then we can redeploy that much larger check than a much smaller one, but we don't exactly. have to go into that. So as far as the, the mechanics of folks investing passively in these deals, you know, when, Obviously, you're coming from the other side of it. You're you're making the offering, but when you're talking with folks, you know the the process of them meeting you, them meeting other syndicators, all the way to being invested in the deal. What does that typically look like for most of your investors? It sounds like you have a, a pretty long term relationship with most of them. Yeah. So a lot of folks, you know, we've I've known for years just being you know being a business, just life, and, and um, there's a personal relationship. And so, um, but what, what's happened is that um, introductions get made. Hey, I need you to meet my friend that would be interested in, in the types of deals we're doing. And so, um, so there's that, that realm, which, you know, ends up being a coffee or a lunch meeting or, or going out for happy hour or something like that. And really getting to know them as a person, giving a very high level view of how real estate investment works, and then usually by the second or third time we get together, there's a deal in the works that they can, you know, uh, that they can look at. I try to still employ that three touch rule, just in terms of really getting to know somebody. And, and I know it's time consuming, um, but that's the best method for me, for my personal stable of investors and the people that I would bring into to a deal. Um, you know, the, if I'm, if I just had a lead of somebody that I was, um, somebody says, Hey, you should reach out to so-and-so, um, you know, I, I usually will call or shoot a text message and say, Hey, you know, we have a mutual friend that has suggested that we meet and really just try to get to know them. I mean, by no means would I pitch a deal I'm working on, um, you know, the first time around. And we, you know, we obviously make sure you're compliant with anything that's out there, but I'm not a, um, um, you know, I'm not one of those guys that just has to sell the deal. I really want to get to know people and understand what makes them tick and, and, and see if there's a good fit just whether it's a deal we're doing now or just something long-term. So, um, so it, again, it, be, it ends up being a little bit time consuming for me, but I enjoy that. That's what I like to do. So I, I have a lot of fun getting to know people and, um, you know, trying to provide value to their lives. Mm, absolutely. And you're investing your time in building, starting and building relationships with, you know, investors and 
yeah. some aren't going to work out and many will and that's the name yeah. of the game yeah have you I, I like to ask this of syndicators um as well have you ever been audited or examined by a third party due diligence person by acting on behalf of an investor sure you mean like a like a cpa or or um uh like a financial uh you know maybe their financial advisor or somebody like that like doing their own due diligence is that yeah yeah absolutely i've uh, i've seen investors do that with their, you know cpa or financial advisor or somebody they just trust uh yeah. you know I, I can't speak to any qualifications on that regard, but you know, as far as your experience having, you know, been reviewed, what's that like? Yeah. What what information do they ask for? All that stuff. Yeah. Um, no, I, and I'm, I'm I guess having been in business that long, I'm very comfortable with my resume and my background, and so um, I guess hard work and doing things the right way does pay off because um, I've been fortunate in the regard that people have I, I've had people that I didn't even know know you know knew each other. Say hey, I you know um, like a friend would call me and say hey, I talked to so and so. They were calling me asking you know asking about you and your business. Um, but I've had folks ask for you know we're happy to give them examples of how past deals have performed. Um, happy to give them a, a brief financial resume. I'm not really there's no need to provide you know all the in depth um, uh, mechanics of, of net worth, but happy to share those numbers with people if they want to know what we're worth, how we, how we got to that point. And happy to have them have a conversation with, with my CPA or my attorney. I mean, I'm a, I'm an open book, so um, so generally that goes pretty easy. Easy, um, and and I think some for some of the folks that aren't experienced in real estate investment, those are the ones that oftentimes ask the most questions early on. But I think it's good to get them comfortable. So you have to be comfortable, kind of opening yourself up um, to a little bit of scrutiny in a, in a positive way. You know, I mean, they're gonna they're gonna look at your company online. They're gonna look at you. Personally, and I mean, um, you know, I'm not going to submit to like an FBI background check for for something like that. But if uh, but if somebody wants to know, you know, uh, no, they they, I, you know, I just sort of say, hey, call my CPA, call my call my attorney, um, you know, call call any any friend or reference, any random person that knows me, um, and and I'm generally generally pretty open and willing willing and able to answer any questions somebody would have. So I think you just have to be willing to to give somebody a peek into your life if 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 that if you're comfortable with that. Hmm, nice. And I, you said something. Uh, I, I want to make a comment about it. You said uh, hard work and doing things, hard work and doing things the right way does pay off. Editor and blog post folks, grab that, and we'll make a nice <laughs> image out of that because I, I really like that. What is the best investment you've ever made? Well, just because it's recent, you know, that's the recency effect. I'd say the one I just did, but I mean, really, I, I think the best. <laughs> I mean. Cause I'm just, I'm still high off of, of closing that deal. But sure. realistically, I think the best investment was in, in myself. And once I kind of bought into the idea of personal development and, you know, journaling and reading books and setting goals. Um, I, I mean, I know it, it sounds trite, but that, that really is the, the truest thing to be able to develop yourself as a person personally and professionally um, is going to pay off. And that's going to allow you to think bigger, operate at a higher level and take down larger and larger deals and be successful in the long run. So that's that's really the best investment from a like all around perspective. Okay. So is there something in particular in that, you know, in that personal development journey that sticks out in your mind that, oh, that was a great one. You know, any any if we dig into that a little bit deeper, yeah. something that comes to mind that was a, a particularly good investment in the self development world for you. Yeah, I, I think um, you know, joining um, you know, joining a mastermind 
um, you know, putting up hard-earned money and real money to surround yourself with people that are high-performing individuals and that maybe have achieved levels of success that you want to achieve. So I think being able to be around people that have done it and can show you the path, but also at the same level, there's people there that are aspiring to be what you are. So, you know, you're kind of, uh, people are helping pull you up and you're helping pull others up at the same way. And I think, um, you know, I, I, I'm not a course junkie. I don't go out and do a ton of courses and a ton of masterminds, but I think a well-placed mastermind or a well-placed, you know, um, performance or accountability group is a really good investment for, for anybody in, in any walk of life, whether it's real estate or if you're a physician, get around a peer group of, of people that are, um, you know, maybe, you know, helping you grow your practice or, or things like that. I mean, I think just anything you can do to kind of grow as a professional is, is a good thing. I like that answer. Actually, listeners will know this. You, you might not know this, Jason. I get that answer nine and a half times out of 10 from highly, so highly successful investors, <laughs> people with high incomes, high net worths, you know, all that good stuff, primarily in real estate, because that's who we talk to. But I get that answer a lot. And I think it, uh, there's a reason I get that answer because it's, it's a good answer, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So on the other side of that coin, what is the worst investment you've made? <laughs> I, I, uh, the worst investment was a car wash laundromat and not that it didn't make money, but I bought myself another job. And, and so I thought that, Hey, this will be just as easy as collecting the coins from, you know, the laundry machines in my building. But what I didn't realize is that was like such a time suck that, um, that it just, it just became like having to run down there and deal with this daily. And it was, it wasn't a, um, it just wasn't well thought out on my, my part. I mean, I could have gone in and, you know, renovated the car wash, renovated the laundromat, made everything more automated. Um, that would have been in retrospect, that would have been a great, a great plan. Um, but I bought myself a job and I bought myself something that was a time suck taking away from the things I should be doing in, in real estate. So, so it was a bad investment from that standpoint, but I could have done it differently. Um, you know, I ended up selling it and, uh, I, am holding the mortgage on it. So it's a better investment now, very minimal, but I, I, uh, try to turn, you know, turn lemons into lemonade type of thing. Absolutely. And I think, um, want to maybe go down this rabbit hole a little bit. Um, you're, so most investors, even that have been investing since 2001 and prior, most investors don't reach that 300 unit number with their own money. Yeah, and, and owning all the units themselves, but you did. So you, there must be a, a significant level of business systems competence that you have or you've built or something like that. I'm sure you have excellent systems in your business because nobody has enough hours in the day to fully manage 300, a 300 unit portfolio. So how did you manage that? You know, in a nutshell, it's a huge conversation, but yeah building up those business systems to manage that huge portfolio. I mean, what was that like? What did you do? Let's get into that a little yeah. bit. So one of the, um, uh, one of the things I did, and it was probably harder than doing deals themselves was um, hiring employees. And, and I realized that, Hey, I can, um, you know, I can have people I can delegate these tasks to so I can grow. And, and I think, um, you know, I became very, very adept at, you know, buying properties we could rehab and, and renovate and rent them out and getting the financing and doing all of that stuff. And really, I mean, saw the value in employees, but didn't understand how to build a system and operate a business. And, um, you know, at one point made peace with, hey, this is a growing experience. No one, you know, 
you could have 10 MBAs from the best schools, but no one will teach you actually how to build a team and, and manage that team and, and hire people to manage the team and things of that nature. So, um, so that was a, le a learning process. And I feel like we've finally gotten really good at that to be able to attract talent, retain talent, manage that talent. And, um, you know, but I, I think the, I think for me, you know, being able to like, Hey, let's try this system out. And if it works great, and we'll run with that. If not, let's try something else out and really trying to seek that knowledge from other, other operators, other people that you know can give you some best, best practices. So, um, learn quickly to be able to automate and take away those, those tasks that aren't generating revenue in the business. I mean, I wish I would have learned 10 years ago, only focus on revenue generating activities. Then I would have, all I would have focused on was acquiring properties, getting the financing and bringing investors in. And that's, that's what I do now. Um, but as we're growing, I was also dealing with tenants. Tenants have the ability to reach us and all those things that, that end up sucking up a lot of time. Um, you know, so that's the, um, you know, I think a little bit of trial and error, but, you know, joining, you know, joining RIAs and meetups and being around other landlords, again, that people that are where you, you want to go and people that, um, you know, that are kind of aspiring to be what you're like, you know, and, and I think that, you know, being around that, you can get the best ideas out of, out of everybody. So. Mm. What is the most important lesson you've learned in investing? Well, I learn lessons every day, but I think one of the most important lessons is to, uh, to be resilient, that time can cure most mistakes in, in real estate investing, um, you know, you might, um, you know, you might have a hiccup with, um, you know, with, with, uh, with occupancy rates, or there might be a down cycle in the economy, some hidden expense that you didn't budget for, something you missed in your due diligence. But time will cure all of that. So rents will go up. Um, you know, you, high expense ratios are not shouldn't be the norm forever, and you know, time will cure that. So be patient, you know, don't, you know, don't panic. And so, um, you know, I've, I've learned the value of, of meditation, you know, trying to, uh, trying to, trying to be calm, trying to have like operate from a state of peace and, and, um, always taking that big picture approach, um, rather than letting the little things panic you. And if that, if that makes sense. So, um, you know, the other thing, um, you know, a lot of people say, don't ever buy D D class properties. I didn't start out in D. I started out in B, um, B and C, and uh, had a mentor that sold me a bunch of D-class properties through owner financing. But I loved it. I, you know, it made me, you know, it was my first million-dollar deal. I bought all sorts of properties, and they it generated a really good cash flow to my business. But <laughs> the exit strategy was really hard. I mean, sometimes you can't sell those properties for what you want because they're they may be a great property, but it's in a rougher area and an area where you know, um, like the guys with money aren't looking to deploy that in, in a war zone. So, um, so then, you, you know, I, I sort of had to reframe how, how do I exit out of this stuff now that I build enough equity and kind of had to do what those mentors did to me and find folks that are willing to, that you're willing to mentor and take a, take a, you know, a calculated risk on and be the financer for them. Um, and that's a totally other rabbit hole and probably something for a total, you know, totally different, different episode. But, um, but that was, um, that, that kind of lends itself to just the patience and the creativity. So, you know, if, if something's beating you up and you just don't see a way out, you know, again, try to think from a place of calm, like seek out answers from mentors, talk through it for different people, and you'll have a creative answer that maybe you just, just didn't think of before that 
that gets you out of that that temporary financial jam or just emotional jam. I mean, for me, it was, you know, I had properties that were sucking up way too much of my time. Um, and so I was getting, you know, getting away from those things that were time suckers. Mm, interesting. So it's been a great conversation. Where can folks get in touch with you if they want to learn more, if they want to talk about things you have going on, future investments you have, you're working on, stuff like that. Where can people reach you? Sure. Um, right now, anybody can, they can reach me on Facebook, uh, Jason Perro. They can hit me up on my profile. Um, they can uh, also message me on LinkedIn and, um, and the, I can give out my personal number that that's fine too. Um, you know, and uh, if you want to put that, do you want me to give it now or I can, you can put it in the show. Notes. Go for it. It's your, it's, uh, it's your call. You're getting the calls, not me. All right. <laughs> uh, area code 814-397-8030. Um, you can get on my calendar. I just, um, uh, I don't have a calendar or, or a point light yet. So, but feel free we'll, we'll hop on a call and, and uh, we can deep dive into something, whatever anybody oh, wants to talk about. Appointment is a great investment. Highly recommend it. So okay. appreciate that. Definitely big, big recommendation there. Well, awesome. I definitely appreciate it. Everything, you know, all the links and everything we mentioned, your phone number, all of that's going to be in the show notes for everybody listening. Okay. Flip it over there Sweet. to your show notes if you didn't catch anything or hit record or hit rewind and you can listen to it again. Right. Well, thank you for joining us today. It's definitely interesting. Uh, hopefully we can get you on another time to talk about specifically about tertiary market investing. That's definitely an interesting strategy and I can see that it can be successful, but also we have to be smart about it and invest in the right markets and all that good stuff. So no doubt. Can't move the property. all right, great. Well, thanks for your time, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. This has been Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on uh, iTunes or whatever Apple's new podcast platform is by the time this episode uh, airs. Certainly appreciate it. And if you know anybody that would benefit from any of these lessons we're bringing to the table, please share it with them and uh, like and subscribe wherever you wherever you subscribe to podcasts. So thank you for joining us again. Thank you, Jason. And we'll talk to you all again soon.